Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday, or as I've come to experience it, Repentance After Gluttony Sunday. Good Lord, what did I just do, right? Forgive me for all of that food that I ate. Anyone ever feel like that after Thanksgiving? Or is it, uh, surely it's not only me, right? We are uh, finishing up our series this morning called Open Hands, Big Hearts. We've been looking all month at what it means to be a people who are generous and compassionate and selfless. And on this Thanksgiving weekend, we're looking at what it means to be a people who are grateful. So just as Josh so beautifully shared as we prepared for communion, we are a gathered people here, gathered to give thanks. Whether you're here in the room or you're with us online, it is good to be together and to be together in a grateful way. Amen. So as we think about this virtue of thanksgiving and gratitude, we can remind ourselves that even though thanksgiving exists as a holiday in our culture, the act and virtue of thanksgiving, of gratitude and of giving thanks, is as ancient as the scriptures and is extolled throughout them. Millennia ago, in Psalm 107, we read these simple and inspiring words. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks. To whom? To the Lord. Why? He's good, and His love never ends. Isn't that good news this morning? Something to be reminded of, that we always need reminded of. That God and His goodness toward us, His love for us, never ends. That's what we're gathered here to do today, to extol praise and thank God for his never-ending love. That's what we do each Sunday here as we gather together. And sometimes, maybe, perhaps, we don't always often do it enough in those hours between Sunday mornings. And that's what we're going to spend some time thinking about today. It's a lesson, when you think about it, it's a lesson we've been learning since childhood. If you're like me, I can still hear my mom's voice saying, if I receive a gift right from someone, what did my mom say to me? Now, why do you say, Robbie, right? Thank you, all right, you know. Maybe a little reluctant, maybe not eager to learn that lesson, but it's a lesson we constantly need to learn, and that is how to say thank you. Now, what the, in the passage we're going to look at today, it's a, like last week, it's like a living parable. The first two weeks of our series, we heard parables that Jesus told about the rich fool or the generous um, or, or the generous and selfless good Samaritan. Last week we met a generous widow, a real-life parable, and today we're going to do much the same. We're going to see in this par- living parable, so to speak, just how much giving thanks means to Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 17, so if you brought your Bible, feel free to turn to that passage, Luke 17, or if you got your Bible app, you can quickly look that up. I'll certainly also have the scriptures here on the screen. Starting in verse 11, we read, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. In this opening scene, what's happening here is we meet ten wretched, forsaken, disheartened guys. They had leprosy, a skin disease for which there was no cure. And in fact, leprosy was in a very real way a death sentence. 
carried out a little bit at a time. Watching your own body decay. So leprosy was a very brutal sentence that someone might live under. Now we got 10 guys, they hang out together because no one else wants them around, and they see Jesus. Uh, At the end of that verse it says, they stood at a distance, they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. These men were hopeless and helpless and alone except for each other. They stood at a distance because no one ever wanted them near, right? This was contagious. They didn't want them around, and no one wanted what they had. So they lived on the outskirts. Before Jesus gets to the village, these ten men see him coming. They're, They're on the outside. They're alone and by themselves, only with each other. They see him and the disciples. They approach him because they know that he is their last hope. They meet Jesus, though, and their hopes begin to rise. He was becoming famous for his compassion. This rabbi who would travel from place to place, uh, if anyone was going to have pity on them, it was going to be this guy named Jesus. And more than that, they had likely heard that he had the power from God to heal. This was true of Jesus. So they see him and they're like, this is our day. They knew enough to know that if you're going to ask anyone for healing, this was the one you asked. And there he was heading into their village. It says, when he saw them, he said, very simple, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now what's going on here? Jesus instructs them to do what we would call the Old Testament law, their their Hebrew law. He instructs them to do what was required of anyone with a skin disease who felt as though, who had evidence to show that they had been cured. You went to the priest and you obtained verification from the priest that you no longer had that skin disease. Let the record show that you're no longer infected. And Jesus just almost nonchalantly, right? He sees them. They, they say, uh, Jesus, have pity on us. He goes, here's what I want you to do. Simply turn around, head to Jerusalem, show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they then obey him and go, they discover that they are cleansed. They are healed of their disease. Now, there is a sermon right here, just in this single moment. Go to the priests and obtain verification that you are now free to go about your life and be accepted by everyone. On this day, they were about to go from people who were complete outcasts staring down a brutal and slow uh, death sentence. And now they're turning into men who are going to be free to go about their lives and be accepted. And, do, you know, and, and have relationships and, and begin to move through and experience love and acceptance from others. No longer an outcast and no longer staring down that death sentence. They were given new life in so many ways. And this is a perfect parallel to what happens to us spiritually when we often, at the end of our hope, get the chance to see Jesus and come to Him and say, have pity on me, Right? They were, uh, not only were they outcasts, they were condemned, right? No one wanted them around. Most people would probably assign some sort of spiritual meaning to the fact that they have leprosy. What did you do to get on God's bad side like this? This must be evidence of some sort of sin or dysfunction in your life because that's how a lot of people tended to see 
uh, and, and want to categorize others. Does that sometimes happen today? Right? And yet I hear, in this passage, I hear echoes of Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I see myself in those ten guys. I see all of us, ultimately. And I see Jesus accepting me and then giving me marching orders and healing me along the way, right? Turning me into a brand new person. No condemnation. No room anymore for that voice in my head that wants to tell me that, that I'm not acceptable or that, that I'm not loved or I've done too much, too, too bad, too far gone. I'm too forgotten or just too far away from God. They were accepted. They were seen as human beings, loved by God, and then sent and healed. That can be you today. Loved by God and sent and healed. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He tells them to just go on ahead of him, essentially. And they do. And as they walk, they see their leprosy leave them. So far, this is a wonderful healing story. There are lots of stories like this in the Gospels that tell us about Jesus encountering people in need and mercifully, compassionately, powerfully healing them. So, so far, so good, right? Another healing story. But this one's unique because it's only half over. One of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Now, there's a lot this guy is about to teach us in a real, real quick fashion. First, number one, it is okay to praise God in a loud voice. Is that all right with everyone? You can do that. You can do that while I'm preaching. You can do that while we're singing in worship. That sometimes what we, what we need, I'm guessing sometimes, is just a chance to reach deep down and say something really great to God in a loud voice. Amen? Yeah, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. So this guy comes back. He is praising God in a loud voice. He is happy for what has just happened to him. And he's not done. Not only is he praising God in a loud voice, he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care about social norms or politeness at this point. He's loud. And now he's throwing himself at Jesus' feet to do what? Thank him. And it says, and he was a Samaritan. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Okay, so there were ten lepers. They all asked Jesus for healing, and all were healed. But there was one key difference in one of them. Nine of them received healing and went on their way. Only one took the trouble to come back and say thank you, right? What do you say? Thank you. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gone through something so rough that it was difficult to feel good about anything? That this one thing was large enough and heavy enough that it affected the way you saw everything else. And it was hard to feel good about much of anything. Perhaps you felt even that you had nothing to be thankful for because this one thing was going terribly wrong and it was affecting you and the way you saw everything. I wonder if the other nine just forgot how to say thank you that it had been so long, too long, since they had ever been moved to gratitude. They'd been so desperate, so alone, so lonely, so despairing 
for so long that the muscle of gratitude, the instinct or the inclination to say thanks was something they'd forgotten how to do. That they'd lived so long in the darkness, their eyes just didn't know how to see anything else anymore. See, I say that to say that I feel for them. And I don't feel the need to look down on them, like shame on those other nine for not doing it. I can do that because far too often I am them. Man, I want to be this one. Amen? I want to be this one. He is tapping in to what I sense I need. That guy's got something. He knows something I need to know. He's reminding me of something that perhaps I've forgotten. And that is this. The simple act of getting on your knees before the Lord and giving thanks. Man, that's potent. Could it even be that simple? That perhaps what we need, and this is one of the reasons we gather at what's called the table of thanksgiving. As Josh said earlier, when we take communion, uh, we are giving thanks each time that we gather. That when we gather together, we are recalibrating our heart to remind us that there is someone worthy of our gratitude. It's not us, right? That I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in charge of or, or I'm not to be credited for the good things in my life. That ultimately, I'm receiving a gift from God. The breath in my lungs, the work that I get to do, the life that I get to live, the people that I get to love. The recalibrating, potent idea that I would just, in a loud voice, praise God and get on my knees and simply say a prayer that any of us can pray. You don't, you know, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say when I pray. We might sometimes feel. I got two words for you. Thank you. Right? We can all pray that prayer. And man, we can mean it down to our toes. And it causes me to ask, when was the last time I really did that? Didn't make requests, didn't have a list of things that I needed to let him know about, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's awesome, and we should be doing it as much as we care to and let him know what's on our heart. But how often do I just recalibrate myself by just stopping and saying to him, thank you? That's what this guy is teaching me as I read this account. But like I said, the story is, was only half over. We've got more here. Jesus asks, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Now, while I can relate to the nine, I see here, and I hear it in Jesus' words, I really can't let myself be like them too often. I, I need to take a lesson from this one. Jesus' power is with me and with you as we walk where he tells us to go. And i got to turn to him and give him praise. It's the right and fitting thing to do. Were there tears in his eyes? Or maybe irritation in his voice? I'll, I'd allow for that. Certainly disappointment in his heart. We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? He then asks this question, Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now this is the Samaritan thing we read about just a second ago. Now to our ears, this might sound a little bit pejorative uh, for just a second, but let's, let's pause and, and reflect on what's happening here. Presumably, then, the other nine were, were guys who were raised in, Jewish, in a Jewish household. They were Jews themselves. They were raised with the Word of God uh, being taught to them. They, they would have been people who basically should have known better. right? People who were uh, raised to know that giving thanks to God is the thing that we all 
should do. But the Samaritans, as we've talked about before, were sadly considered um, to, they were, they, there was a lot of ethnic and racial prejudice against the Samaritans. They were seen as far from God, rejected by God, half-breeds, uh, sadly, uh, and people today as, and, and back then would want to categorize people in these ugly um, unnecessary ways. And that's exactly what was happening in Jesus' culture. And Jesus is saying, look, look at this guy. He is back to give thanks. And you would have expected culturally or religiously for those other nine to be first in line to do that. And look, here, he is demonstrating the virtue that all of them, God willing, should have had true, to be true in pouring out of their hearts. They should have known better. This reminds me of something that I think we've all run into in our own experiences. Sometimes it's us churchgoers who act the least like Christ or treat people the worst. And I imagine when that happens, Jesus feels a lot like he feels in this moment here. A bit of a face palm of like, what is going on? What are they doing, right? Whenever you and I get a little off track and we begin to forget what it means to show love to others or to be patient or to be kind. It happens to all of us. And I have to imagine right there, Jesus is just like, but we should know better. The whole world's looking for love. The whole world's trying to figure out how to do it. But we have the teacher who shows us true love. Amen? And we can be an example of that as best as we know how. So Jesus says to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. A faith that's thankful, a faith that gives praise. This is wellness to our souls. So in this first half of uh, my message this morning, what are, we, what are we learning? I would put it like this. Let's make gratitude not the exception, not one out of ten, right? Not the exception, but the rule of our living. Let's learn from this guy and say, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who, in a loud voice has the instinct, the, the, the um, inclination to get on my knees and th- say thanks to God for all that he's given me. I want to be more like that guy. This is certainly the witness of our faith. It's what the scriptures are constantly exhorting us as disciples to be, to be grateful, giving thankful praise to God is the only right response as we live the life that he gives us. So living in Christ really should mean giving thanks, not just every now and then, but and certainly not once a year, right? God deserves our thankful praise all our days. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In all you do, be thankful. Give thanks to God. Let it flow easily from your heart, from your mouth. Now, we'd all likely agree that gratitude is great. It's a necessary virtue. I don't know if anyone would probably try to make an argument that gratitude isn't a good thing. But why is it great? Why does being grateful, uh, what does being grateful mean to us and to Jesus? Why is it important? Why was it important to Jesus in this account that we just read? Well, scripturally, there are at least three things that are super evident as you move through the scriptures as to why gratitude is a good thing for us. And so in the remainder of my time, I wanted us to think about what, I'm, what we're doing now is just serving up a quick Thanksgiving meal of scripture for us to chew on. All right. So I'm going to have a few scriptures that I'm going to bring to the front of our minds here and just let them do as much of the talking as possible. 
as we remind ourselves of why gratitude is important. I think, it's, I think it's essential that when we're in church, when we're opening our Bibles, when anyone's teaching you uh, what the Bible says, it's good for us to ask, but why is that important? And then let the Bible answer that question. We might all agree that gratitude is great, but why is it great? Because what I found is God has a reason for why he asks us to do and be the things he asks us to do and be. When in the Bible says that we, it would be good for us to be grateful, it has reasons for saying that. And so let's look at three of those real quick. Number one, gratitude reminds us of our dependence on God. When I'm grateful, when I'm cultivating a virtue of gratitude, I recognize in that moment I'm a receiver before I'm a giver. We've been talking about what it means to be generous, and that's good to be a conduit of God's blessings, but it's got to start with gratitude for what I have. And when I'm, gra- when I'm grateful, I'm recognizing, hey, I didn't, I didn't do all this by myself, or even, even the skill or the ability that you may have to earn the income that you have or the bread that you eat or the way you provide for yourself and your family, even that comes from God. And so gratitude causes us to stop and recognize, man, I am a receiver. Gratitude keeps God in his rightful place in my life. He's the king of my life. He's the provider of all that I have. Paul wrote to the Romans about people who slip into ingratitude, and he even likens it to idolatry. Yes, even people who know God. Check this out. Romans chapter 1, talking about uh, people, even though they knew God, he says, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They neglected to thank God. This should stop us in our tracks and help us to realize that ingratitude is not a small thing. It's not a trivial thing. But instead, we're going to see here for a second, it's a pretty pivotal thing. They neither glorified God, uh, nor glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking became futile, and in their foolish in their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged. This is the path. Once we once we take God out of that place of deserving our thanks, what we're seeing here is we 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 easily begin to slide because we've stopped being that person who every as as often as we can right. Uh, gives thanks to God. We stop, we stop doing that, and we, we're, we're untethered. We're sliding. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images or idols made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, reptiles. In other words, you forget God, and you're pretty much going to start to find yourself worshiping, even being grateful to, and giving your life to things that are not at all worthy. To know God and not glorify Him or give thanks to Him, no matter what, is a sure first step into a foolish and futile way of living. That's what we see here in Romans 1. He's really describing the human condition when we leave God out of our equation. So on this Thanksgiving Sunday, let's count ourselves among the grateful and worship God for all His blessings. Because what we see, it's not just a nice thing, It's really part of our ethic as Christians. Here's another passage that backs that up. Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 5. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
Now, what that tells me, that, 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 that word Thanksgiving, which because we have a holiday about it, right, and we, it, it can kind of feel like a fluffy thing, kind of a nice thing, a greeting card kind of thing, that we might think it's kind of a lightweight thing. But that's not what I read here. What I read is that there's all the, all the ways that the world would tempt us and all the ways that our nature would steer us in the wrong direction, whether it be immor- immorality or impurity or foolish talk or coarse joking or obscenity or any of these. And then he says, but no, 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 none of that. Instead, thanksgiving. Let's put that on the other side of the scale and begin to realize that when we choose to be thankful people, we are setting ourselves on a course that then rejects these other ways of living and behaving and thinking and speaking. That we let thanksgiving become what naturally comes out of us as our own native language. It's an ethic. It steers the course of our lives. And when we stop remembering to give God thanks, we set ourselves adrift. And who knows where we could land. Number two, gratitude decreases anxiety and increases contentment. This passage may be familiar to some of you. It's in Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God. And when you do, here's what happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Centered right there in that passage is that word, thanksgiving. Gratitude focuses us on what we have, not on what we don't have or wish we had. And that is the definition of contentment. Gratitude makes that possible, brings peace to us. You've probably heard uh, recommended in our world today uh, the idea of a gratitude journal. That's a popular thing to read about if you're thinking about mental emotional health at all, and it's a fantastic idea. Uh, The world of mental health uh, has been recommending that for some time, but it is a concept as old as the scriptures to take the time to give thanks. This practice is widely recommended Uh, but it dates back all the way to the roots of our own faith. And I can highly recommend it as well. I kept a gratitude journal during one of uh, the lowest year or two of my own life just a few years ago. And I got to tell you, it helps a lot. It helps a lot. That if you take, as I did, a moment each day, I just pulled up an app on my phone and I would type in one thing that day that I was thankful for. Here's what the doing that does, I found, for your own heart and soul. Despair can, be easy, can easily creep in to our thoughts. But when you take a moment each day to find something to be thankful for, in a way, you, you are finding a floor of your despair. You are, you are deciding this far and no farther. You are reaching for something that isn't at all despairing. You are finding something that isn't at all um, hopeless or sad. And you're finding it, and you're thanking God for it, and you're writing it down. And in a very real sense, you're kind of driving a stake. You're, you're, you're clinging on to something in which you will realize, I can't go any farther than at least this thing that I'm thankful for. And it may feel like the world falls out from underneath you. But that act of giving thanks will keep you at least from falling further. 
And if you don't go more than 24 hours without that practice, you'll find that as that season of your life comes and you move through it, and then it begins to go, that you're in a healthier, more centered place because of that very simple discipline. I could not recommend it more. There is nothing quite like counting your blessings to make you realize how rich you really can be. A little later in Philippians 4, Paul seems to make this connection. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He just said, in any and every situation, present your request to God with thanksgiving. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, he says. This is the posture that we take, one of gratitude that then brings contentment. You can lose a lot in this life, but you'll never need to lose Jesus. And when you begin to create a list of things, and some of the things on that list that you're grateful for are things that you can never lose, you begin to realize just how true this is. And that's then where you build from in building your own peace and contentment by the Spirit's help. Because, see, few things close or tighten or narrow us faster or more effectively than discontent and ingratitude. But we want to be people with open hands and big hearts. And gratitude helps keep that possible. There's always a reason to praise God and to thank Him. Number three, generosity and gratitude create a contagious, virtuous Cycle. We also see this in the scriptures, and it's a super cool thing to reflect on. See, what happens when I choose gratitude is I begin to accept responsibility for what I've been given, right? I've already been reminded I'm a receiver. So in that act of gratitude, I'm realizing, oh, okay, what I have here, whatever it may be, I'm receiving it from a good giver who is my God. And now I begin to see, wait a second, the one who gave this to me had a reason for doing so. Now, before that giver, what am I to do with what I've received? And we call that stewardship. We call that, this is the idea that now I'm a receiver, but now I have a responsibility to do something with what I've been given. And who should I ask for uh, for advice regarding that? The one who gave gave it to me, right? Why did you give this to me? What am I to do? Thank you for this. Now, what am I to do? And this creates then a beautiful, virtuous cycle. Let me explain. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read this passage. It's not one that you would hear preached a lot necessarily, but it really is a beautiful picture of what we're talking about here. One of of the things that Paul is doing on one of his missions is he's, he's literally taking up a monetary collection as he goes from church to church so he can help some believers in need. And he's done that for these Corinthian Christians. And then he makes this observation because they've been very generous. You will be enriched in every way, he says, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And check this out. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. What's he saying? Very Very simply this. He said, your generosity, with material giving even, 
is now being translated, as people are helped with that, into thanksgiving to God. That you can take a material possession of yours, you can give it generously, and it will be translated into spiritual worship and thanks. And that this beautiful cycle starts with our gratitude and generosity, and then it turns into thanksgiving for that generosity and back again. Because of the service which you have, by which you have proved yourselves, he says, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Now, this is one of the things that I get the joy of witnessing many times firsthand thanks to your generosity as a church. In fact, just this past week, uh, it's a holiday season. It's not, uh, we've heard from a couple people just this week, people we've never met before, but they have some needs, right? Holidays are coming up, maybe it's gifts for their kids or, or you name it, and they've asked for some assistance. And because of your generosity, we can provide that assistance. And so I've answered a couple of emails this week that have, that have come in, and in fact, later now this upcoming week, I'll get the chance to meet with a couple of people as we get to bless them with something that will make their holidays a little easier, right? But, but when they email us, with us having never met them before, and they get a return email from the minister and a chance to sit down and chat. They're treated as uh, respectable, uh, dignified, uh, loved human beings. And we get the chance to have a chat and, and get to know each other a little bit. And that maybe in that exchange of your material generosity that gets translated as someone has a need and then we get to just help in some small way and then get to show a little bit of love a little bit of dignity, a little bit of caring, a little bit of time, that perhaps whatever might be true of their story, and of course I don't know yet, I'll get to find that out as I sit with them this week, whatever will be true, maybe there'll be some warmth, some light that might need to be shared there that will help them see that there's something to be hopeful about in this world, that there, there are people who care and love, and that God is good, and that no matter what their story may contain, it's not over, and that God is with them, and that they might feel some gratitude to God, ultimately. Your generosity getting translated into thanksgiving to God, and perhaps even the chance to feel some love from God. The material turned into the spiritual with eternal consequences. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, Paul concludes, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God, he says, for this indescribable gift. Little burst of praise there at the end. Just this, isn't this amazing to be a part of? And so we end where we begin, thanking God for his goodness and his good gifts. Let's go back to our 10 lepers for just a moment. Friends, this life can wear you down. And it can pick you apart, piece by piece. And if we uh, let those wounds fester, if we pick it, you know, remove ourselves from the world like a leper, pick at those scabs and sit in the dark, right, rehearsing our past or our regrets, we will find ourselves in a desperate and lonely place. Maybe even forgetting how to give thanks. But we cannot, and we must not. Let's remind ourselves today to choose instead gratitude. 
because Jesus gives us a wellness that cannot be taken away and for which we can always give him our heartfelt thanks. We have a fatal sin disease, but we found the cure. We've seen the one have pity on me. And he does. And he heals us as we go along our way. And for that, we can pause and turn and say, Thank you, Lord. You are good. And your love endures forever. Let's pray about that. God, we do say today, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for meeting us where we are and having compassion and mercy on us, for healing us and sending us, for loving us and accepting us. So Lord, today we simply say thank you. We give our lives to you once again. We want to live for you. We thank you that your love, so great, so grand, that you love the whole world, including us. Let that love flow through us, Lord, that others can feel it too through our open hands and our large hearts. Thanks to your Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen.